Ukrainians go to the polls at the end of the month, five years after a revolution swept away the corrupt regime of Viktor Yanukovych. His successor, Petro Poroshenko, pledged greater transparency, introducing a series of reforms to combat corruption. Yet it remains endemic and represents a key topic of debate in the run-up to the upcoming presidential and parliamentary elections. With me to discuss efforts to tackle arguably Ukraine's most intractable problem is Alico's analyst Nathan Andrews. Nathan, what was the extent of corruption when Poroshenko came to power and how much of an issue was it in the revolution? Well, the country that Petro Poroshenko inherited after the Maidan revolution in early 2014 had been completely ransacked by former President Yanukovych, whose uh, family and entourage had pretty much plundered much of the country's resources, had left the state coffers empty and uh, essentially left the country largely defenceless. Uh, the Maidan revolution was in part um, Ukraine's civil society's way of pushing back against a generation of rulers who had treated the interests of Ukrainian citizens more as an obstacle rather than a priority. So this was epitomized basically by the to and fro that took place over the EU association agreement uh, between public opinion on the one hand, which was largely inclined towards greater European integration and the interests of the Yanukovych clan on the other, which entailed a very close relationship with the Kremlin. Um, the aftermath of the revolution and Russia's annexation of Crimea, um, followed by a bitter and ongoing conflict over the Donbass region, which left Ukraine in dire need of outside help. That's where the IMF steps in with upwards of 14 billion in aid and a proposed road to uh, reform and stability for the country. International aid to Ukraine has been predicated on reforms aimed in large part at improving transparency, as you say. What sort of progress has been made? I think Ukraine's rulers now understand very well that the major political changes their country has been through over the last five years have been inextricably linked to a desire for greater transparency in government. And uh, there, there have been some steps in the right direction, in particular efforts to clean up uh, state-owned Nafta Gas, um, Ukraine's largest oil and gas company, uh, which has been on a path to greater EU integration and has sort of severed ties with many of its former oligarch-owned intermediaries, which were formerly a sort of major source of corrupt practices. The establishment also of a high anti-corruption court was also a step in the right direction. Um, encouraged by the IMF as a requirement for receiving aid payments and um, intended to work to aid the, the efforts of the National Anti-Corruption Bureau in kind of rooting out and prosecuting corrupt officials as well as pursuing, pursuing reform. On the other hand, the establishment of the anti High Anti-Corruption Court has been an issue of contention for many in government, actually. What has been holding back anti-corruption efforts and, and could this jeopardise Western assistance? Well, efforts to investigate and punish uh, corrupt government officials after the Maidan revolution has been largely unsuccessful. Um, this has attracted a fair amount of criticism to the Poroshenko government, which is viewed as somewhat lacklustre on fighting corruption. The problems arise as a result of endemic corruption in the Ukrainian judiciary, which for a long time has been the protectorate of political patronage in Ukraine. So as a result, we see that serious allegations and investigations are often blocked and no, well, as of yet, no high-ranking officials have yet been charged, let alone punished for um, historic corrupt practices and crimes. The IMF has been very clear as of late that the slow pace of anti-corruption reforms in Ukraine is 
a major cause of concern and is jeopardizing Ukraine's access to its IMF bailout package. Uh, the EU have been equally worried about the pace of reform in this area, which could potentially put at risk the visa-free regime in place between Ukraine and other EU countries that's been running for a little over a year now. Could the slow pace of reform stymie foreign investment? I, I think foreign investors will certainly be looking, at least in part, at the extent to which Ukraine can keep up with its IMF obligations, sort of as a marker for the country's future stability which includes managing its uh, fiscal deficit in order to re uh, deal with the country's sovereign debt obligations, uh, reducing inflation and making its financial sector more watertight. Of course, all this alongside governance reform. A major source of instability in Ukraine is, of course, still the war in the Donbass, which remains an ongoing conflict and a subject of immense political contention, to which at the moment there seems to be no obvious end in sight, which, of course, is another issue entirely. On the other hand, um, the Ukrainian government's desire to push for further energy independence from Russia will open up new opportunities in the gas and green energy markets as the country returns to a state of stability in the years to come. Ukrainians are pushing for greater integrity at all levels of government, yet the pressure they've exerted has had a limited impact. Why is that? Well, Ukraine is a is kind of textbook case of what's called a limited access order. So the majority of the country's major assets and industries were snapped up in the 1990s by well by well-connected individuals in politics, business, and the security services as the Soviet Union was in decline and collapsing. So these assets were then solely privatized, and the owners of major assets relied on trustworthy connections in government in order to secure their ownership of the assets and to expand as quickly as possible while facing uh, as limited competition as uh, as was possible. So while in the other direction, polit politicians sort of capitalized on these relationships, uh, received hefty kickbacks and rewards for, for their obedience in that area. And as a result, you have a system of patronage, access is limited to close friends, to family, sort of chosen ones or people you can trust in order to keep you and your interests out of danger out of the uh, path of the rule of law. So the extent to which this is still a factor in judicial ref when it comes to judicial reform was clear in the recent decision of the Constitutional Court, which in February struck off an article in the Criminal Code concerning the illicit uh, enri enrichment of government officials. Uh, the Constitutional Court basically claimed that it violated the presumption of innocence that was essentially made that article of the law unconstitutional. So as a result, I think up to 60 investigations into senior officials had to be abandoned. The new changes to the law now put the burden of proof on the prosecutor, who must prove the illegitimacy of officials' wealth, rather than requiring those officials to demonstrate how they acquired their, well, how they acquired certain assets. It's a clear sort of change in the dynamic between the country's rulers and the institutions that are supposed to keep them in check. So many of the vested interests in Ukraine are still tightly bound up in government, in business, in law enforcement and any other state institution you can name. So everybody knows someone who knows someone who has a dirty secret or has made a lot of money under sort of dubious circumstances. It's hard to break down a system like that, of course. It will take time and it will take a little assistance from outside. The main thing is that it remains a priority issue both for the next government as well as for civil society more broadly. Corruption is an important issue in the election campaign, of course, but do voters believe any of Poroshenko's rivals would improve on his record of tackling the problem? 
I think it's clear from public opinion polling that Ukrainians are swinging towards a protest vote in Vladimir Zelensky, who is a comedian and an actor who essentially has no real political experience. Although he has uh, spoken up recently about supporting the path to reform laid out by the IMF, you sort of get the impression that people are pessimistic about the other two front runners, Yuli Tymoshenko and uh, Petro Poroshenko, who I think strike people as a more of the same, essentially. Whether any of the main candidates will actually push for greater reform or sort of genuine path to reform on corruption is a question that I guess we'll only be able to begin to answer in the months to come. Thanks, Nathan. And that ends our podcast. If you'd like to discuss any of the issues raised in the interview, please contact Halico's Director of Research, James Burkett. His email is jbirkett at alico.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.